And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 11. Um, when I was at seminary and I was um, training and preparing and learning how to preach, Philippians chapter 2 was one of the passages that was assigned to me to preach um, as a student of preaching. And it's interesting because it's all about humility. <laughs> and I'm sure our professors knew what they were doing and why they were um, assigning um, this passage for us. And so I'm going to read it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through to 11. Um, listen to me as I read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's amazing to me, okay? <laughs> we shouldn't be quick to move on from the reality of God um, taking on human flesh. It's incredible. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can't think of more a more appropriate and um, relevant passage than that as we think about what's going on um, in our cities and our country and what we're seeking um, as a church to display within the life of our church. If you've been with us um, for a while, you will know that as a church, we are a church family on mission with Jesus. You've heard me say this a million times, okay? <laughs> Nearly every other sermon, I say it. We're a church family on mission with Jesus. Why? Because it's our vision and our mission. And that is what we're striving towards. And we've also said we don't look to cultural Christianity to help us fulfill our vision and mission, but we look to God's word and rely on God's spirit to help us be a church family on mission with Jesus. And today is an opportunity for us to begin to discover or pursue how we can fulfill our vision um, specifically when it comes to us being a family. This morning, um, especially, and I would say every time we meet, 
um, it's like we're having one big family reunion, okay? We, we, we are not a church that is an organization. We are not um, a group of people um, that just simply get together on a Sunday um, and sing some songs and listen to someone speak and eat some, you know, Charlie's, donuts, whatever. We're, we're not that. We are a family. Um, and that is the vision we have pursued. Um, and so this morning, um, just see this as a family meeting. Okay, see it as a family meeting. Over and over again, the Bible encourages us to love and care for one another. We just sung and were reminded of not just God's love for us, but the expectation that we are to um, um, exhibit and share the love we experience from God with others. Okay, Um, Bible continually talks about it. Let's just take John 13, 34 to 35. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another, Jesus says, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, Romans 12, 10 says, and note these down. Romans 12, 10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And then it goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. That's an amazing prayer. And as a prayer, we should be praying all the time as a church. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. God, may you help our love increase and overflow um, for one another. Okay. Philippians 2. We just read it, but I want to just highlight two of the verses that talk about love and the idea of loving um, each other just as Christ has loved us. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Philippians 2.4 says, um, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Members of our church family have been directly impacted by everything that's been going on right now. They're hurting. They're fearful. They're tired. They're frustrated and feel hopeless. I may not be African American, but I can definitely relate to some of the challenges they're facing. The racial tension in our country has added an additional layer of uncertainty and fear for your brothers and sisters to this already difficult time. As their family, it's our responsibility 
to do all we can to love and care for them during this difficult time for everyone, especially for them. And so this morning, what we're going to do is hear from some of our African-American brothers and sisters, okay? And in doing so, what we're doing is communicating our love for them. We're acknowledging their struggle, their hurt, their fears, and we may not fully understand everything they've gone through okay, or everything they're experiencing right now, but by simply listening, we're communicating our love for them. Steve Ross, who's an African-American pastor in Ventura, he's a friend of mine, he said this when it comes to the idea of his brothers and sisters listening to him. He said, it was great to have brothers show care and concern for me by being comfortable listening to my laments and taking time to hear my heart as they let me process out loud. It would be good if more Christians of European descent took advantage of the opportunity to listen and learn um, in cross-cultural relationships than they do seeking to lead in them. You don't have the answers. You don't have to have the answers. God is indeed sovereign, but that's not it either. Brothers and sisters, that's okay because we want to be heard, not heckled. Okay? That's what Steve Ross said. Before we get started with our discussion, um, um, let me just share with you a few things to get started. And the first thing is, know that it was not easy um, to, um, for them, for, for, for the members of our panel, to participate in this panel, okay? When I asked them, um, you know, in terms of, like, why are you doing this? Why are you agreeing to this when you're going through so much pain, so much hurt? Um, they, they, they all said it, 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 it wasn't easy to say yes to this. It just wasn't. Past wounds have been reopened for most of them. And so may you listen with grace, with love, with humility, with patience and kindness as they share their deepest hurts their consuming fears, and their striving for hope in Jesus. The next thing I want to point out before we start is that our aim this morning is not to solve America's race problem, okay? We're not aiming for a magic bullet or a quick fix here. This conversation um, will not provide success overnight when it comes to our pursuit of a healthy, thriving, multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Okay, this conversation is not going to do it. But we see it as an important first step towards our pursuit of racial reconciliation through the gospel. The next thing 
is that this is their personal experience. Okay, this is their personal experience, and um, they don't. They're not coming out and saying that they are representing all African Americas, Americans. Okay, but know that this is their personal experience. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and you know them, and you 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 do life with them, and so they're going to be sharing mostly from their personal experience. Okay, they're going to be doing that, but although it's their personal experience. Collectively, um, I think it represents, they represent the experience of most African Americans in the church and possibly our communities. The next thing I want us to be aware of before we get into our discussion is that we're, we're all aware that African Americans are not the only people group who experience racism. Other minorities experience it too. In fact, racism targeted at Asians and Asian Americans has grown since the outbreak of COVID-19, statistics tell us. And we recognize, okay, and lament the discrimination and racism experienced by all minorities. Um, and I wished we did, but today we don't have the time to deal with how racism is impacting other minorities. And we have them in our church, okay? We have Asians in our church, we have Hispanics in our church. But know this as we engage in conversations about race, we will not overlook our Hispanic or Asian brothers and sisters in Christ. The next thing before, the last thing I want to point out before we talk is that this may be uncomfortable, and it may already be uncomfortable for most of you here. Um, we all should be uncomfortable about the injustice in our country. For many Christians, facing the reality that America still has a race problem is uncomfortable. Until we're able to listen to the cries of black advocates, sympathize with black mothers, and express righteous anger over dead black bodies, we might remain comfortable, but it's a poor substitute for the love to which we've been called. Okay? And so, um, without, um, they're just my points to clarify. And so, what I'm going to do now is invite um, Jeffrey and Mackenzie Taylor, um, Umu and Sean and Savannah Treywick to our panel. <laughs> and if you guys could unmute yourself, um, that will be great because I'm going to ask you to just briefly introduce yourself. Most people know you, but um, we're going to do it for the sake of people who may be visiting and who don't know you. And so 
Um, let's start out with um, Umu, R. We'll start with R, with alphabetical order, last name. Oh, hi. He hello, everyone. I'm Umu. Um, Can I've you been... all hear Umu? Brilliant. Great. Um, I've been at King's Cross for coming on two years now. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to introduce. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Um, I currently work as a medical scribe, um, basically taking notes for uh, my physician. I want to be a doctor, and I will be doing that in the fall. Awesome. Yeah, girl. Love it. <laughs> All right. Um, Taylor's. Jeffrey Taylor. Uh, I've been at King's Cross since the beginning. I'm on the worship team, play keyboard, drums, sometimes sing. And mm -hmm. uh, yes, you I design do. clothes for a living. And I'm married to Mackenzie. <laughs> um, I'm Mackenzie Taylor. I've also obviously been at King's Cross since the beginning. Um, and I served on the hospitality team for a long time, or for really the beginning, kind of the first year of the church. Um, and recently started volunteering with the Kidsmen, although that obviously has been put on hold. And uh, I am a. <laughs> And that's me. Thank you. Uh, and you, you mentioned Jericho, right? Oh, you did not. Oh, no. Jericho's our son. Um, yeah. He's watching <laughs> videos about shapes right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's nice. I love Jericho. All right, Trey Wicks. Hey, guys. Good morning. My name is Sean Treywick. This is... I'm Savannah Treywick. Yeah, we've been married for... Um, Going on a year, we've been members of the church for um, going on two years. And um, yeah, that's about it. I love it. it. I love yeah, so what do you guys do? What, uh, what do I do? Oh, yeah. um, it's weird. I'm a healthcare like account manager. I work with um, hospitals and nursing facilities and help people get jobs. Braille. And I uh, was nannying before COVID, but am currently unemployed. Um, but we are looking forward to the arrival of our first child in oh, October. Yeah. So um, I'll be doing that All mom right. thing. <laughs> yeah, let's do the clap thing. First time I'm doing it. There you go. <laughs> so odd. Oh. Thank you guys for introducing yourself. Uh, first of all, thank you for your willingness and agreement to do this. Um, guys, I have spent time with these guys um, last night and they're going through a lot and it's challenging for them um, because as I've said, they, with everything going on, um, it, it's challenging, extremely challenging for African-Americans. And I'm talking about, um, the, the, you know, the, you know, with the racial stuff going on and the protests. Um, but thank you guys. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And so this is how we're going to start. Um, first thing I want to know is, um, obviously, 
it's difficult for you, um, how challenging is it for you as you um, hear of the death of another black man um, in the way he died and all the protests that are going on? How are you doing? Taylor's, yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, my, I think, dominant feeling or emotion right now is really just tired um, and like tired on a few fronts, like tired of, yes, seeing injustices like this happen, but also really fatigued at people just saying things like, I had no idea, or like, this is such a shock, or I can't believe this is happening um, because like black people have been saying this has been happening for a long time. And so comments like that just feel like you didn't take what we had to say seriously until you saw it on tape for yourself. And it was literally inescapable. Um, and it's just like a daily feeling of being tired. You know, I'm, I worry for Jeffrey all the time. Um, I worry for Jericho who of course is going to grow up to be a black man. And it's like, you know, you just wonder in the wrong situation on the wrong day, um, if something terrible could happen. So that like that emotional, that fear takes an emotional toll and it just kind of weighs on you. So um, that's not necessarily because of what's happened in recent weeks, but it's been amplified um, by it. And uh, yesterday you talked about how difficult it is to um, carry on with your daily or weekly responsibilities under the weight of how you're feeling. I'd love for you to um, um, elaborate on that more. That was yeah. interesting. Um, it just often doesn't feel like there's a space to be honest about how you're feeling in your kind of day-to-day interactions. So it's like, you know, you see awful videos and you hear of awful things that are happening and you feel devastated and you feel sad um, and you feel angry and then you have to like show up to work and be on a zoom call and have people ask you you know what's up and you just kind of like plaster on a smile and say that you know it's fine or like whatever um and it feels very disingenuous but you also don't feel like you can really be honest um and so yeah that's just like another layer of what makes it difficult thanks for sharing uh, yeah, I would say, I would say my overwhelming feeling is is of tiredness. Um, not really like a weary tire, like oh, I'm all this weight is on me. It's just more like tired of going through the same motions, tired of having the same conversations, tired of dealing with people who who don't really care. They're just trying to like play devil's advocate or treat this like it's some sort of like debate team topic where we we're just like going back and forth about facts when a lot of us are talking about our humanity and our reality and at things that we live in every single day and other people are talking about theoreticals and hypothetical hypothetical situations and we're not even like living in the same reality with the conversations that we're having, you know, piggyback off what Mackenzie said, tired of seeing like 
my white friends saying like, I had like, how could this happen? This is in America, all this kind of stuff that like says, says a lot about the, the difference between the, the worlds that we, we get to live in, not that we actually live in, but the ones that we get to live in, they, they get to live a reality where they don't have to think about it. They don't have to deal with it. And only when it's, it's um, done in such a, a explicit way where there's no hiding behind it. There's no way to wait for more facts. You, you literally have to just watch a video. Like it takes a video of somebody basically having the life squeezed out of their body for nine minutes for some of these people who claim to be my friends to say, you know what, this isn't right. You know what, there is something going on. I'm tired of people feeling the need to, to talk about the people who are doing property, who destroying property. Cause frankly, I don't care about that property. All those stores are insured. All those places, most of them are multi-million, multi-billion dollar corporations. And all that stuff is going to come back. All that inventory, all those broken windows are going to get replaced. The dead people are dead. They're not coming back. And so if you haven't said anything up till now, like people with the audacity to open their mouths about a target being burned down and didn't say anything about the man who was killed in that city, not putting any pressure on target to be in the streets with the people, with the movement. You know, I, I just feel like people have, People have their priorities mixed up sometimes, man. Like property doesn't mean anything when it comes to the value of a human life. That's what I was taught. That's how I was raised. That's what I was raised. We were all raised to believe. But somehow it seems that when people are getting taken to the streets and expressing themselves in that way because they haven't been heard any other time, all of a sudden now everybody's the moral police and everybody wants to talk about Dr. King, who was murdered by the state. Like, we want to bring up all these people and all these situations of what you don't agree with, but you're not having those real conversations in your community, in your house, with your family. You're not shutting down the races that you know. You're not doing it at your job. So, like, why all of a sudden do you feel the need to, like, speak up about people destroying property? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired of all of it, and it just feels like going through the motions because it doesn't feel like, Right now, anything's gonna change. So I'm just—I guess I'm just tired of feeling like there's not right. That yeah, that hopelessness, despair. Um, and I appreciate your honesty, Jeffrey. Jeffrey will not hold back, and I love him for that. And so appreciate that, um, Sean Savannah. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I echo everything um, that Taylor said. Obviously, we're tired, we're overwhelmed, we're sad, and we're pain. Um, I realize that I've got to a point of like um, being numb to it, though, because it's, this is not like a, a modern problem. This is a culturally rooted problem. This is the norm for um, Black people. This is the norm for people in, that have been kind of raised in this marginalized state. Um, so 
I look, I'm going through like social media and I see a headline and I scroll through it because it's not newsworthy to me. It's, it's more so just the norm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of just waiting. Um, and I can't say that my weight and my patience and my hope is in anything that's right now. It's more so just in God and God's will for my life and um, the life of my black brothers. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of just don't have any hope, sadly. And the justice system has failed me numerous times. And, um, you know, maybe that'll make me stronger spiritually. I would say for me, um, I definitely can echo that numbness when you read those headlines. And um, I mean, it's so easy for all of us to see that and say, oh, that is so sad and scroll through. And I unfortunately have fallen into that. Um, I'm ashamed to say because it, it happens so often and it's very unsurprising and it should be shocking but it's not shocking anymore um and so i think when i really and you asking us to speak about this has forced both of us to really sit down and have time to mull this over and think about this and pray about this i'm left with a lot of um a lot of feelings of just being overwhelmed because it is such a a big problem that is so deep rooted in America in our history that it feels like how can change happen um, and so then that leads to the feeling of hopelessness um, so echoing what Sean said I mean I am trying as hard as I can to just bring all of that to the Lord and just lay those burdens at his feet because I start to feel like me as Savannah Trawick, one black person in America, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I echo all of what has been said. I think for me personally, I'm deeply sad I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and when I'm angry, I cry. Um, I feel hopeless, Um, just in knowing that this is all just a cycle and we see one inflammatory video and we outrage and we continue we we go back to living our lives and black people like constantly have that sense of like this is not over like it's constantly in the back of our minds that this is it's gonna come back and it's we're gonna go through the same cycle of outrage and call for justice and yeah, I'm tired of the cycle. I'm tired of not being surprised or shocked. I'm tired of being failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm angry. It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, we got. I got a few questions um, that I want to ask you guys, um, Jeffrey. I'd love to get your thoughts on um, first question I want to ask you, actually. Um, since you covered the first question in your introductory, but I want to ask you, um, as a father, um, 
Jericho, like Mackenzie said, will grow up soon. Um, and he's not going to be no Jericho anymore. And as he grows up, you're going to have to have the talk with him. And for um, most, you know, most people um, in our church, I would say they don't understand what the talk means. Or if we think about the talk, it's more, oh, is it a sex talk or anything like that? Um, the talk when it comes to black families, to their children, um, is different <laughs> to the sex talk or any other thing. I'd love for you to educate us and let us know what that is all about as you prepare to have that conversation with your son. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, obviously with all of the <clears throat> the things that have happened recently, you know, the the talk, quote-unquote, has become like at the forefront of a lot of different media. Like you see TV shows, like kind of working that into their storylines, there's commercials and all this stuff like that. And, you know, the, the, the talking, the, the kind of cliff notes version of what we're quote unquote calling the talk is, you know, the conversation that black parents have to have with their children about encountering the police and that's because the reality is what we're taught about the police through um, media, what we're taught about the police at school. You know, most of us, I mean, even black kids have had gone to schools and the police officer comes for career day. And, you know, you hear this about serve and protect and this, that, and the third and what they're really here to do. And they're here to help us. And then you have to have a conversation with your child about how, to interact when they are in a situation where the police are there, where the police are around. But I think what happens is we, we compartmentalize that the idea of the talk as something that's just about black parents and teaching their children how to deal with the police. But the talk is not like a singular thing about a singular subject. The talk is a series of conversations that black parents have to have with their children as they grow up that continues to evolve that is about how they are how they have to go through life and understanding that there is a completely separate and unfair set of rules for them and even though it's not fair it's the reality of the world that we live in and the safest thing that you can do for your child is to let them know what they're going to experience in the world before they encounter because if you're a black child and you don't know how to deal with the police before you deal with the police, you might die. You might be murdered. If you're a black child and you're wearing the wrong thing, as a, I'll give you an example. It, and and it, it covers pretty much all walks of life. It has evolved throughout time. Right now, it really is a lot more focused on individualistic things and how to deal with like the police. But during the civil rights movement, the talk was about how to stay alive when dealing with white people in general. So when you're walking down the street, if you're a black man, you're walking down the street, down the sidewalk, if a white, white people are approaching you, cross the street. Because if you don't, you might die. If you're, <clears throat> if you're if you, back in slavery times, the talk was don't let anybody catch you with the book because reading was illegal for black people. If you're out and about and you're off the plantation, you better have your papers on you because if you don't, you can be strung up. None of it is, none of it is different now. For me, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to wear 
baggy clothes. I wasn't allowed to dress like a quote unquote hoodlum. I couldn't wear my hat backwards because my grandmother didn't want anybody to see me on the street and think something about me that was untrue. And it wasn't my fault that the image of a young black kid wearing his hat backwards, wearing baggy jeans automatically connotes that this person is up to no good. I didn't create that narrative, but the reality is my grandmother wanted to keep me safe. And so she didn't allow me to do certain things. She didn't allow me to have like the childhood. We can't rebel. We can't be teenagers throwing wild and crazy parties. And then when the cops show up, everybody run. We don't get escorted home when we're caught drunk driving. We don't get a call to our parents from the police when things go wrong. That's not how the world sees us. The world sees us not as kids, but as adults. And so even for me, the conversation that I'm going to have to have with Jericho is going to be completely evolved because he's a black man living in a city that is, he probably won't have that many black people around him. He probably will have more white friends. He probably will be in more integrated scenarios. All that does is put a spotlight on him. All that does is put a bullseye on him. And so the conversation that I have to have with him is, you can't do what your friends do. Yeah, your white friends might be able to talk back to that cop. But guess what? He's not welcome in our house anymore. And I don't want you hanging out with them again. Because if he talks back and that cop decides that you're the problem, you're the one that's going to get it. You're the one that's going to be on a viral video. And it sucks to have to think about the fact that I'm going to have to instill that sort of fear into my child at various ages. And it will have to escalate due to the severity of what he might experience given certain ages, like right now, yeah, he's cute. Everybody thinks he's great. We go to restaurants and everybody's like, oh my God, you can just send them right on over here. In my mind, I'm just like, what about in 10 years? What about in 15 years when he's 17 and he's as big as me? Like, you don't want me to send them over then? When do we stop being kids? When do we stop being cute? And when do we start being threats? And you have to teach that at home that that's how the world is going to see you. And it's unfair because then we have to walk into every situation unsure about whether people are going to see us as a threat or not. We can't just walk in and be comfortable. We can't just walk in and be ourselves. We have to walk in and right. be reconnaissance. We have right. to walk in. We have to be smart. Yeah. And I mean, that's a conversation yeah. that has been happening over yeah. time. It's about right. more than just the police. It's about a completely different rule set that yeah. you as a black person have to live by in society. And at the end of the day, yeah. it still might not even keep you alive. You could be doing all the right things and a cop could just decide that's today's the day. A woman like Amy Cooper could just decide today's the day, you know, today's the day where I'm going to just like try to get right. you killed. Right. And yeah. how do and, you react in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. And such a good point about how the conversation will need to be tailored um, as culture changes um, and as he grows. Such a good point. Um, Umu, um, would love to hear your thoughts because of time um, on any of the two questions um, that you were assigned or you chose to answer. Which one do you want to go for, Umu? I almost forget I'm muted. Um, I guess I can talk about the conversations that Christians need right. to have. 
Yeah. Um, because Jeffrey articulated most of the challenges that black people face in America. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of like talking about what conversations Christians need to have that will lead to racial reconciliation and encouragement. There's a certain posture that comes with like entering into those spaces to have those conversations. And um, like Jeffrey said earlier, like it's not a debate. It's not trying to prove people wrong. Like these are real experiences and you're talking to a real person and their experience of America. And so there's this need you, you, as a white person need to have this openness and understand that Mm. there is going to be a need for repentance. Um, and repentance so often requires ownership of sin and, and that can so often lead to like guilt and shame and, and feel heavy, but Jesus can carry that weight and guilt and shame. And, um, it is to recognize that like those conversations are going to make you feel uncomfortable and it's not our job to make you not feel uncomfortable um it's it's like some of the things that we're going to say are going to come in direct opposition to um things that are integral to your um understanding of america or of the world and one of them has to bow like both of them can't exist at the same time and I think also something that I've become really increasingly aware of is like deconstructing this notion of just because we're Christians and just because we love the Lord Mm. um excludes us from perpetuating and being complicit in injustices and individualized racism and microaggressions and all of that like being aware of that knowing your history doing the work and not putting that weight on your the black person to like educate you again that's like not our job mm-hmm. i think the conversations need to move beyond like mackenzie was saying being surprised or shocked or 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 being horrified because it's not surprising it's not it's not shocking it's been happening for a very long time um mm-hmm. and ultimately like having those conversations in your home with people that are around you, like calling your family members out when they say racist things and kind of spread racist ideas about black people. Um, whether it's like having conversations with your kids from an early age, because they know there's a difference, like they, they see it. Um, and yeah, just as much as black parents have to have this ongoing talk with their kids, like, that is something that white families need to be having those conversations with their kids mm-hmm. on how to speak up and address injustices when they see it or like not get a black person killed. Um, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we have like, it all boils down to like, do we just want enough diversity in our spaces to make white people feel comfortable or are we willing to like, take in all that diversity brings, including our experiences and and the experiences of black people in America. Um, Yeah. 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 I love that. And I love what you said near the beginning of this is a real person um, telling you about real experiences. 
um, and, and church family, King's Cross Church. These are real people. We know them. Um, it's been a long time since we saw them because of COVID and lockdown, but these are real people that are in our real church um, that we love um, and have served with and have lived life with on mission um, with Jesus. Um, and so these are their experiences. Um, so transitioning now, I'd love to hear from you, Mackenzie, um, about um, how can your church family um, support you during this season um, of pain um, and tiredness and confusion? Um, I think that one of the most important things that anyone can do right now to support me and to support probably most black people in your life that you know is just to um, educate yourself and don't educate yourself by asking all the black people you know what you should do. Like you can literally Google search resources on how to learn more about institutionalized racism, about how to learn more about um, just all of the data that suggests very clearly that black people do not have the same opportunities, do not have the same life outcomes, do not have the same chances at success that um, other people do. And then when someone tells you about it and when someone tries to explain that they're experiencing this injustice and this prejudice um, and this racism, like do not let being defensive be your first response mm. like do not let being defensive be the way that you always frame the conversation because what that shows me and whoever it is that you're talking to is that as Umu said it shows me that like your comfort and your view of yourself individually is much more important than the pain that I'm trying to express to you that I'm feeling and so when you respond to someone's hurt with defensiveness and with all the ways that like you didn't contribute to it and it's not your problem and it's not your fault, what you're saying is like my absolution from this issue is more important than addressing the issue itself. Um, and that's probably the least helpful thing that you can do. But unfortunately, I think that's like the conditioned response to a lot of white people when we're talking about racism. Um, and I mean, I think ultimately like, talk to your people again like umu said like you've all been in a room when someone has said something racist you all have and so when that happens stop being quiet about it when you see patterns of behavior that suggest mistreatment of black people speak up about it when it's happening at your school when it's happening in your office when it's happening in your family like Stop being silent about it because your silence is like confirmation that you think that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Point blank. If you don't say anything, then that is a sign that what is happening is fine and is not problematic. And that is why it continues. So people just have to start speaking up in their small circles, um, especially when no black people are around, right? Like the way that our country is set up, there's a lot of rooms, there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of places that are populated by all white people. So when you are in that group and in that room and in that meeting and people are saying problematic stuff and you look around the room and there's no one black, that is the most important time to speak up and say something. And that's honestly the best thing you can do right now to support me 
and support other Black people who are hurting because the longer that you refuse to say anything, the, the longer this is going to persist. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So um, educate yourself um, with resources that are available. Um, and as a church, I'll work with you guys leadership and we'll come up with a list of resources um, that you guys can go on Amazon in order to continue to be informed. Um, and the other thing is don't be defensive. Um, really well put. And lastly, it was speak up. Um, so good. Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, we'll transition to Sean now. Um, now, Sean um, wrote an open letter um, to the church when I asked um, them to come and share. He thought it best or felt more comfortable sharing his thoughts, his feelings, um, and kind of his desire for the church through an open letter. So, Sean, when are you ready? If, if you could tell us a Wait, yeah, sorry, whoever that was. Not sorry to you, but if you could mute your mic, <laughs> that would be great. Um, Sean, if you could give us a brief introduction and then read it, that would be helpful. Okay. Um, yeah, so Obeda asked me to, like, you know, participate in this panel um, yesterday morning and um, just asked me to kind of speak on police brutality. And um, oh, wait, wait. a couple. Sorry, sorry. Can everyone hear Sean? Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Sure. Um, your your video's frozen for me for some reason. They wanted to make really? sure to hear you. That's no, fine. I can hear you, but I can't see your video moving. So go ahead. Sorry. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So when you asked me to speak, like on this um topic, um, before I even got the questions, I just kind of said prayed. I was doing my morning devotion anyway, so I just started praying about George Floyd. I started thinking about Breonna Taylor. I started thinking about Sandra Bland. I started thinking about um, Ahmad. I started thinking about everyone and start thinking about where I kind of play, where my mom plays in this whole thing. And um, just started writing down my thoughts. And like I said, it's just like a personal letter. Um, and then when you sent me the questions, a lot of the answers to the questions were within that letter. So um, I'll just go ahead and share it. <clears throat> Racism in America. Where do I start? Where do I finish? The problem is systematically rooted so deep, it's hard to see both ends in the same conversation. It's a topic I tend to avoid because I feel so numb to it and so defeated in the fight against it. When Obed asked me to speak on a string of recent brutality cases, it sparked something I didn't know I've been suppressing in myself all along. It's like an unseen yet overwhelmingly felt target on the backs and chest of a group of people oppressed for centuries. It's hard to truly explain because you can't tangibly see or touch it, but it's so hard to ignore because if you're black, you feel it. It's impossible to escape. The target follows us in schools, stores, hospitals, in our cars while we're driving or even parked, into our jobs and offices, into parks, courtrooms, and sometimes even our churches. In June 2017, it followed the Clinton family to their million dollar Manhattan Beach home when neighbors vandalized and burned it down. Last month, it followed Breonna Taylor into our one-bedroom Kentucky apartment and killed her in the middle of the night. Earlier this week, it put his knee on the neck of George Floyd in broad daylight while spectators watched him gasp for his breath until he didn't have another. 
It's hard to grieve for George Floyd and not grieve for the other respected black men and women recently murdered senselessly and unjustly by law enforcement and ultimately by the dreaded racism in America. George Floyd is the latest brother of a long list of respective others and sisters. Breonna Taylor, Oscar Grant III, Eric Gardner, Philando Castile, India Cager, Alton Sterling, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Janet Wilson, Delron Small, Sandra Bland, Kevin Hicks, Sean Bell, Freddie Gray, Pamela Turner, and so many more. Since 2013, there's been over 500 documented murders of unarmed black men and women by the hands of law enforcement in Los Angeles County alone. In the year 2015, 104 unarmed African-Americans were murdered by police across the country. That's about twice a week, only 13 of which went to a courtroom, only five of which led to a conviction. Data has shown that black men in America face a one in 1,000 risk of having their life taken away during an encounter with police. The same study shows for white brothers is one in 2,500. Racism in America. At this point, more than I want justice, I want the target off of our back to begin with. I like more awareness amongst those that don't necessarily suffer from it. Black people have been in a pandemic for years, susceptible to death and injustice that can't be prevented by the likes of a mask or staying indoors. Our country is sick and has been sick, and there's no national outcry outside of the black community in sight. It's like people don't even care until riots in sight. James too starts off, my brothers, show no partiality. Well, as a black man in America, when I think about it, I feel partial. It's clear that racism is not pure in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Now, why is it constantly shadowed as yesterday's news? Why are black people the only people fighting for black people? Martin Luther King said it best, justice denied anywhere diminishes justice everywhere. I know I'm in a spiritual warfare, but when I think about it, I'm in a racial war too, every single day. I suppress it to avoid seeming victimized or mad or bitter or aggressive. But when I asked to think about, about this topic, I was reminded of how hurt and sad and I actually am. What I can't look forward to here, I can certainly look forward to beyond this temporal life. And that's where my faith is. In the meantime, here in this fallen world, I take the opportunity to meet all trials. James chapter one, verse two says that trials of various kinds will test my faith and produce in me a steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, verse 4. My prayer is that we take time to consider and intentionally pray for those black lives, not all lives, but specifically black lives, because they're dying by the hands of police at a staggering rate. Well, thanks for, again, Sean, thanks for writing that um, in a way that was honest, um, but at the same time um, filled with hope as well. Um, and he, he he's absolutely right in so many ways, but I think he's spot on when it comes to the truth of the fact that because we're christians we have hope um we just have hope because of jesus um not just hope that through the gospel god is able to take um, people from all different backgrounds all different um 
ethnicities and bring them together in unity in one community. Yes, we have hope for that. Um, but we have hope knowing that even though we live in a broken world, this is not all we have. Um, this is not all we have. By God's grace, through Jesus, we can look forward to um, eternity and a time where there will not be um, any more deaths um, or sin. Um, and so I appreciate that, Sean. And so as we're thinking about hope and how Jesus and what he's done provides hopes for us, hope for us, I'd love to um, hear from you again, um, Jeffrey, Umu and Mackenzie, you know, in, in relation to how does the gospel provide hope um, during this time of suffering and sorrow? How does the gospel provide hope for you during this time of suffering and sorrow? And because of time, um, sorry, <laughs> you've got about two minutes each. Uh, I think for me, the gospel, the part of the gospel that gives hope is Matthew 7, asking it should be given to you, seeking you shall find, knocking it should be open unto you. Um, racism is not this ethereal cloud. It's not like a mythical creature where we don't know how to fight and we don't know the answers. It's, just, it's systemic. It's all built on the lie of white supremacy. And so knowing these things, the answers are out there. And I guess my biggest hope is just understanding that answers exist. Um, I wish I had more hope in the idea of people actually going and seeking out answers but you know the gospel gives us hope that these answers and these solutions are there and we just have to ask and seek and yeah thank you Mackenzie while you're there um I mean I'll be honest answering this question for me is really difficult because mm -hmm. I often end up um, at the place where I'm just asking God, like, why? Like, why would you let this happen? Why, um, why is this happening? Um, like, your children are hurting and your children are dying and your children are in pain. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but I think for me, it still comes from the gospel itself, yes, um, but mostly like Jesus, like Jesus being that answer, right? I think about, uh, <laughs> you know, the Israelites who had the same thoughts, and I think about um, all of the leaders and the people of God who had the same thoughts and who cried the same cries, um, wondering how like such injustice could exist, um, and so. You know, I think that's like what I come back to is that he said he was the answer and I have to believe that he is or else, you know, I don't know why I'd keep bothering to put one foot in front of the other each day, quite frankly, if he isn't. Yeah. And as you were think, um, saying that, you know, I, I thought of the Psalms, one, where they're brutally honest about what they're going through. Um, if you read a lot of the Psalms, it's them 
um, doing their best to hope in God, but at the same time, um, they're being honest about how hopeless they feel. Um, and that is appropriate at times in prayer um, to just ask God, uh, why? Um, I, I want to have hope. I want to believe the gospel can have any, but why? Um, I also thought of Hebrews 4, 15. Um, and I'll, I'll read Hebrews 4, 15 after Umu, if you share with us how the gospel can provide hope for you during this time um, of suffering and sorrow. And then... I think for me, um, I echo what Mackenzie is saying. I think it's really hard to find hope and it leads to questions of why. Um, but I think two things, I think one, the, the truth that God intentionally, it was an intentional act of creation to create us all as he did. And I think that gives me hope in knowing that he knew what he was doing in that. Um, I think also the image of God being and Jesus being the lion and the lamb. I think that really struck me recently um, in the natural like phenomenon of things. A lion and a lamb don't coexist. Um, one devours another. Mm. And I think mm. the fact that like God reconciles um, creation in that way gives me hope that he is able to do that. Um, I do think it's hard to find um, sometimes, but I think that imagery has just been really helpful for me to picture a lion and a lamb um, in the person of Jesus on the cross, um, being a lamb and rising as a lion. I don't know, that, that was, that's just been really helpful. Mm. Awesome, awesome. Um, Savannah, I'd love for you um, to share your thoughts. My thoughts specifically on how the gospel yeah. brings hope. Yeah, to um, a good Samaritan story. Um, okay, okay. So um, as I was praying about this, you know, I, I – initially did not want to speak on this because like you said it's sometimes like you can feel like I'm speaking for the black people of America where in reality I'm speaking for a black person in America and that's just me um and so I was just praying and asking God like what he would have for me to say and he brought me to the parable of the good Samaritan so I'm going to be reading from Luke 25 and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So just some thoughts on that. Um, In verse 29, he says, and who is my neighbor? Looking for the neighbor to prove himself, not for him to go out and find a neighbor. He wanted a neighbor to come and prove himself. It's the wrong question, one being used to justify himself. Maybe the question is different for you. What does this have to do with me? How is it my fault? What can I do? That is the wrong question. In verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Black people in America have literally and physically been stripped, beaten, and robbed for walking down the street. Verse 31, the priest. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest, or let's call it the church, we have crossed the other side of the road for too long, choosing not to look help or take part in it. This is the wrong response. In verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, Levites, that could be me, you, individuals who move right along as if we haven't seen anything much too quickly. This is also the wrong response. And finally, in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. This is significant because Samaritans and Jews had deep rooted anger, animosity and hatred between each other. You guys, does that sound familiar? This is the history of whites and blacks in America, and it cannot be ignored or shoved to the side. We have to face this head on. He came to where he was. He had compassion. Mm. Movement toward followed by compassion for. Movement toward. He had to walk. He had to move. That is action followed by compassion for. If this isn't our first response, we are sinning. We are doing this neighbor thing wrong. Black Americans are the ones beaten and left for dead. That is the reality of the situation. That is who is being beaten and left for dead and has been for a very long time here in America. So which of us will prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell? 
Which of us will prove to do that? Which of us will show mercy? And which of us will go and do likewise? That Jesus, you guys, our Savior, that is where he finished. He said, you go and do likewise. So I think that's a question that we all have to be left with. How and when am I going to go and do likewise? Because in this area, we have failed for far too long. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, thank you, Savannah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, just, um, so it's been good. Um, to close us, um, our discussion time, I uh, would love for you to pray for us, Sean. Heavenly Father, we just want to first and foremost say thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercies. Um, and giving us this this day, giving us this time, giving us this opportunity to do fellowship together, Father God. Um, there's no pain that you can't heal. Um, and we're not waiting for anything here more than we're waiting for you, your son, Christ. We ask, Lord, that through this painful time that you bring healing, you bring reconciliation, you bring a peace that surpasses understanding, Father God. Um, I pray, Lord, for a conviction um, in our community, in our fellowship, in our brotherhood um, that may not necessarily be one person's specific fault, but it should be a conviction. There should be a shared pain, um, just like we share in rejoicement. We should share in suffering. This problem that we're facing, that we came to speak about this morning, is not a quote-unquote Black people problem or African-American problem. It's a problem. Mm. specifically it's a problem um so i ask father god that um in my life the life of all of my brothers and sisters that we feel a sense of urgency from you god um to speak up to speak your truth and to speak your righteousness against something that you're obviously against against something that is not welcome and cannot call home in your kingdom father god we look to you with all of our faith and all of our trust and we love you and we say this in jesus name Amen. 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 Um, thank you so much, um, Jeffrey McKenzie, Sean Savannah, and Umu for um, sharing um, honestly um, and with hope during this difficult time. Um, really challenging. And so thank you. I really appreciate your courage. Um, and your desire to do it. So thank you. Um, We're going to move into a time of singing um, and prayer, corporate prayer. And um, again, before we do that, I just want to say this will not be kind of a one-off conversation and then we leave it and then something blows up again. Um, in our nation, and then we come back and talk about it. Um, We want to be continuing to pursue um, racial reconciliation. Um, And the only way that can happen is if we continue to view everything through the lens of the gospel. And so that is a commitment um, we've made as a church. And one of our vision and values, desire as a church was 
has always been to be multicultural and multi-ethnic um, because of where we are. If you look at our church, we're really diverse. Um, and so this will not be the first time um, we're going to be having conversations like this. And it might not necessarily be on a platform like this, but we want to be having conversations. But most importantly, for all of us who have heard from our um, brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters, um, you've heard your hearts um, and you've heard their suggestions. But most importantly, we've heard from God's word um, as to how we should respond and the need for us to love one another. And so may you um, respond um, by um, seeking God um, and educating yourself to understand more. Um, but may you also just take to heart um, some of the things that have been said um, and begin to pray and seek God to help you um, pursue um, what his desires are when it comes to racial reconciliation. Um, so Dan, whenever you're ready, take it away.